Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art. We come to you every week with a new story about your world. Today's guest is Dr. Sonia Aleman, Associate Professor in Mexican-American Studies at the University of Texas, San Antonio. We'll talk about her new course this fall, Selena, a Mexican-American Identity and Experience. This new class will focus on Selena's career, image, music, language, and Mexican-American identity. We'll also talk about Dr. Aleman's personal journey in higher education and the struggle Latinas go through to get that PhD. Thank you for following The Jesse Garcia Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit jessegarciashow.com. It's been 25 years since the death of Selena, but her star has never been brighter. Her songs and image still attracts new fans, and her legend still resonates with a new generation that's used to tech-savvy performances from modern-day stars. But somehow, Selena's voice and sound still draws them in, without a fancy filter, just raw emotional performances. Helping uplift Selena to break barriers in every direction is another Tejana, Dr. Sonia Aleman. She's an associate professor in the Race, Ethnicity, Gender Studies Department and Mexican-American Studies Program at the University of Texas at San Antonio. This native of South Texas grew up listening to Selena as she received her bachelor's from St. Mary's University, her master's from the University of Texas at Austin, and her Ph.D. from the University of Utah. Dr. Aleman studied mainstream media representations of communities of color, alternative media content produced by communities of color, and manifestations of race, racism, and whiteness in the media. With those credentials and background, Selena herself would be proud that a fellow Latina will officially bring the Queen of Tejano to the University of Texas system this fall. I want to welcome my very good friend, Sonia, Dr. Sonia Aleman, PhD, uh, to talk about her new class that she's launching at University of Texas San Antonio, uh, Selena 101. Is that what you're going to call it? <laughs> no, I wish. A little different, but close. Close. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the show, Sonia. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's an honor. Um, of all the, the press that we've gotten this week and excitement that this class has um, generated. This is the one that I've been looking forward to okay. most, to be able to talk to you about it. For our listeners, Sonia and I go back, way back to mm-hmm. our grad when I went to graduate. She was getting her bachelor's degree, but I was getting my graduate degree at St. Mary's University. Go Rattlers! And she was the editor in chief of the Rattler, which was a student newspaper. How I got mm-hmm. that's how I got to meet her, and I she assigned me to be her law editor. I'm like. Girl, I have no idea what the law, but I was like, I you assigned me to that position. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna make it work. And this was the time during the OJ trial, so I had to cover the OJ trial. I'm like, Sonia, what the hell did you give me? I'm like, I have no idea. I had to go talk to all these law professors at St. Mary's, but they were working with me, so I made it work. And I just want to say thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. I always like communications and going to a new school where I didn't know anybody. You made me feel at home at St. Mary's University. So thank you so much. You're very welcome. I was so lucky. I was the lucky one. You came to us and immediately we had to find a way um, to bring you on board. And and then we were able to develop this beautiful friendship that I've always treasured. So I I, I remember those days. And one of those days, it's so sad, but one of those days, 
was sitting at the Rattler office on a Friday afternoon. We were probably working on some layout that was mm -hmm. due uh, that weekend um, on a Friday, March 31st, 1995. That was the day Selena died, was mm -hmm. murdered. Mm -hmm. And I remember it because we were in the office working yes. you know, like crazy. It was rainy and um, mm -hmm. somebody heard over the radio that Selena had been shot. And yeah. we were like, what? And it was just so like, that day is still in my mind, the memory. I, I remember Jojo. Jojo was the one who told me. And we were like, oh, my God. And then the rumor was Emilio's wife had did it. The water <laughs> in a motel. It was just it like was the Immediately rumor. scandalous. Immediately yeah. scandalous. We had no idea what the real story was until later on that day. Yeah. But it's just, it brings me back to our days at St. Mary's. And it's just mm -hmm. one of those days that you're going to carry on. Like, where were you the day? So no, yeah. so but before we get into your class, I want people to know about you and how mm -hmm. you grew up in Texas. Tell us what, what town you came from. So I was born and raised in Catula, Texas, which is 90 miles south of San Antonio and uh, about 60 miles north of Laredo, a small town um, where I was raised by a single mom and my grandparents along with my two sisters um, and didn't move away until um, going to St. Mary's for my undergraduate in San Antonio and um, arriving in, in on campus without a vehicle. So um, my whole world for those four years was pretty much on campus. Um, so it was made up <laughs> of, of school and working at the Rattler. Um, you know, that, that was enough to fill my time and the relationships there that I made and the interest that I developed. Um, and from there, um, and, did, and, and arriving at St. Mary's, knowing that ultimately what my goal was, was to earn a PhD. Um, and so I didn't really know, to me that really didn't translate fully into a career. It didn't, I didn't know like the exact kind of steps to get there, but it, it was something that I learned about. Um, I just recently realized that I was seven years old when I first realized what a PhD was and made the decision to get one. Awesome. Um, <laughs> so you were empowered at such a young age. I was really lucky. My, my mom was um, a really strong Chicana and um, was very much kind of in that, um, had that political critical consciousness and so surrounded herself with people like that. And so one of her really good friends came over to tell her um, that she was going to start a PhD program. And I remember this friend coming over and thinking she was really cool and kind of always like hanging around to listen, you know, but yeah, not that's... get in trouble. And, <laughs> and she said that she said, I'm going to go and get, you know, I'm starting a PhD program. I applied, I was accepted. And I remember not being able to help myself. Like, what is that? What, you know, and, and interrupting and feeling like, I hope I don't get in trouble, but yes. I just, you know, wanted to know what that meant. And she explained it to me. And I just remember she said, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like the highest degree you can get in something. And she said, and not a lot of Chicanas have them. And I remember that moment just thinking, then I'm going to get one. Like, yes, I knew what that kind of meant even. And I didn't, I didn't realize how young I was, but I remember that her statement. I remember that moment. Um, so that's what carried me, you know, through high school, going to St. Mary's. I knew that was just the first degree. Um, I didn't know how to get to the other ones and what came next, but that was the goal always. Um, and so that journey ended up um, taking a, a different route that I initially thought. I thought I would just go straight through um, once, you know, I had a clearer sense at, at, towards the end of my college career. Um, but, um, you know, life will will show you your own, the course that you're supposed to be taking, not the one that you think you're supposed to be taking. Yes. 
<laughs> and so I was able to um, connect with a man who's now my husband, the father of my children. So in between being married and raising three kids, I still pursued that dream. Um, ended up uh, two years later at UT Austin, where I got my master's in journalism. Um, and Great was trained. School. Yeah, I was trained by a wonderful uh, professor there. Dr. Mercedes de Ugarte, who really helped me develop a critical lens for understanding the shortcomings that the media has about representations for communities of color and really gave me a language and a, and a foundation to be, um, to interrogate those and to expose those and to figure out ways to, um, to address them. And um, then it was a, a few years later and um, two more kids later that um, <laughs> I ended up at, in Salt Lake City, Utah, at the University of Utah to pursue my PhD um, in their communication program. As this was all happening, my, my husband was uh, also had decided to pursue a PhD. So he graduated also from St. Mary's where we met. Um, he did his master's and I did my master's and he did his PhD and then it was my turn. And so his first faculty position was in Salt Lake City, um, which is why we ended up there. But our, our our, our initial thought was wherever his first faculty home is, it has to be a place where I can pursue my, my doctorate degree. We, um, you that know, was a good deal. That was, that was the, how, you know, that's what, how, how we decided, right. Would make the most sense for us. Um, and when they came recruiting him, we were like, absolutely not. Like we're not going to live in Salt Lake city. Why would we live? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's such a, such a white place. And, um, and so far away from both of our families, since both of us are rooted in South Texas. Um, but they, we, we, we honestly said, um, we'll go because it'll be good practice for your job talk. And so we'll see what it's like to go through the interview process and to kind of exactly. vet, you know, what an institution is. And that first trip, um, they won us over. They flew us both out. We met with some amazing, critical Chicano scholars at that campus. Um, who were raising children there too. And we thought, oh, we could totally see ourselves, you know, doing that here. And we said five years, we can do five years. I can finish up my program and then we'll head back to Texas and teach at, you know, like a St. Mary's or teach something, you know, our goal was to be like at Hispanic serving institutions. And those five years ended up being 11 years mm -hmm. just because, um, you know, it was, it was a really good space for us. There were some really great opportunities. They made it hard to leave. And then the economy kind of changed and it made it really hard to find two academic positions um, anywhere, um, let alone back in Texas. So we just kind of had to wait out, you know, for those conditions to improve. And, and then ended up being 11 years and then UTSA um, made it happen and brought us back to, to San Antonio um, 20 years after we were both here. How did it feel coming back to San Antonio? I always have great memories of growing up in San Antonio. I spent 11 years there and I'm just mm -hmm. like, I'm sorry, 10 years there. And it was such, it was just, it was just like my formative years mm -hmm. plus so much fun because it's San Antonio. How yeah. did it feel for you? The same. I mean, one of the things that we did every year that we're, we were in Utah is that we would make a trip home to Texas with our kids and our landing spot was San Antonio because it just made more sense. So like our family would come and meet us here. And so when we would say home, like San Antonio was what kind of came to mind. Cause it wasn't, I wasn't traveling to Catula. Uh, occasionally, you know, we would, we would make kind of like a pit stop in, in Kingsville, but this was kind of like where everybody would come to us after we made that big drive. And so it was in San Antonio that we um, maintained like our, our, our familial roots 
Um, and so there was, it was just wonderful. It was just, it just felt like it was such a wonderful homecoming. There was so much that was familiar. There were a few things that were different, um, but you know, we were, where we live now is just um, eight minutes away from St. Mary's. Yes. So, you know, we, we just, um, every once in a while, like remind ourselves and kind of joke how, how close we are to where kind of, you know, our, our future together started and the neighborhood that is, um, that was uh, incredibly formative. And that's, that's um, very much related to, um, you know, what motivated me to even think about this class is that that period of time was in my formative young adult years. And so that's, hers is one of the many tracks, right? That's the soundtrack exactly. of my life during that time. Exactly. We were so lucky to be in San Antonio in the mm-hmm. early 90s. In the heyday of the Tejano music. In the heyday of the Tejano music was mm-hmm. king. Um, you had all your stars, but at the mm-hmm. very top we had Selena. Were you always a big, uh, big fan of Selena? I mean, at the time, I don't think that I was more of a fan of her music than I was of the other artists I was listening to. I just, we were a fan of Tejano music. Tejano and she music. Had, yeah, she, and she was one of the best at it. She was just, you know, had the best music, had, uh, was a wonderful performer. Um, she was exciting to go and see, you know, her voice was incredible. But at the time, and I, and I never would have, I, I still wouldn't characterize myself as like a super fan or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I don't have like memorabilia of her. I don't have, you know, things that I've collected. Um, but I, I, I loved and appreciated her music from very early on. As a matter of fact, um, when we were moving back into the house and sorting through, um, you know, unpacking and you find things that have been in boxes like forever, there was a box of stuff from, uh, it must have been from my early college days. And it was a cassette of her Ven Conmigo sound, uh, album. <laughs> and and I remember, like, as soon as I saw it and I saw the cover, I remember being in my room um, in Catula, my bedroom that I shared with my sister and our little, you know, boom box that we had on our dresser. And I remember, like, us popping the tape in and singing to her music. But I, and so we loved her, but not more or less than we loved kind of like, you know, Ram at the time or Emilio yeah. at the time. Or, um, you know, she was, just, yeah, yeah. Those. Uh, I credit her because I grew up trying to assimilate we had mtv it was a powerful mm-hmm. powerful marketing tool so mm-hmm. i grew up 80s music 80s pop mm-hmm. but i do credit the hano the golden age of the hano all those stars to bringing me back to my roots and then it helped that you had fiesta every april in san antonio mm-hmm. downtown shuts down and they put on this right. never-ending party and right. the sound of selena was always everywhere yes. so i just feel so like so blessed to be around in that time time frame mm-hmm. and, yeah. and i grew up listening to it like my mom played it and it was at all our family gatherings especially so- sunday mornings when she wanted to get <laughs> up to clean the house my mother would blare it up and i'd just be like mom it's too early but she wanted us to get up and help her clean the house or yeah, yeah, we we it was playing constantly. I mean, that was just always in the background, and it wasn't until I got to college that it be, felt like I made the choice to listen to it and love it. You know, before then, it was like what the adults around us were listening okay. to, and sometimes we resisted it because we opted for the pop and you know the mainstream, whatever. Um, but I I just remember um, like feeling very committed to and invested in those artists and that music once I got to St. Mary's and once it was like where where I wanted to spend my very limited 
of money for recreation and entertainment is to go <laughs> to see them and hear them. Like that's, yeah. that's what I wanted to do with it. So what spurred you to bring this to the UT, UTSA campus? Now, for people who don't know, UTSA is the largest uh, education system in San Antonio, higher education system mm -hmm. in San Antonio. It's got 32,000 students. How many Latinos are in make, uh, make up that 32,000? Is it like I think we're like at 56% okay. Latino. Yeah, so we have a, a, a pretty high majority, um, which qualifies us as Hispanic serving. Um, Did that spur the idea of, hey, it's time to be talking about Selena because of yeah. the population you're dealing with? Yeah, I think, I, I think there's a lot of like things that came together. So it really is... Um, one of the things that happens like when you become a professor you kind of carry a dream of if I could teach any course what would it be like what's my dream course and this was always in the a course that was anchored in her was always like you know in in my imagination of what a dream course would be I didn't you know initially have fully formed ideas of what it would be like but I knew that there was an opportunity to 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 really analyze um, her longevity and her legacy and what that meant um, and, and particularly because my interest, uh, scholarly interest, academic interest has always been around issues of identity, race, class, gender, representation, right? She's like a, a perfect vehicle to explore all of those things, right? Um, because of her career and her presence here. So, you know, that always just kind of like was in the back of my head and percolating. And, um, you know, it didn't make sense to do something like that in Utah, but when we moved back, it was, you know, absolutely, it, it made sense at the institution that I was at with the, stu the student population that we serve because of the city that we're located in and its, um, its role in her own career and legacy. And so I was surprised that it hadn't already happened, right? Like it, it to me, everything just kind of makes sense and lined up. Like, of course it would happen here. Like why, why haven't we already <laughs> done that yet? Um, and so yeah, all of those things kind of um, are the reasons why I want to teach this class and have been like you mentioned about it for a while. Yeah, like you mentioned, there's so many layers, you know, Latinidad, mm -hmm. biculturalism, sexuality, gender, Mexican-American history. Which ones are you going to try to concentrate? So I named the course Selena, a Mexican identity and experience because I, a Mexican-American identity and experience because I wanted to um, to center conversations around identity first. Like that was where I feel most of my um, training and interest is kind of rooted in. So all of that is going to touch upon and hit things like, um, you know, race, class, gender, sexuality, representation. But I really, I really imagined it um, as a place to interrogate, you know, the, the iconic line for the movie when, Selena's dad on the bus tells her and AB, yes. right, we're, we're not Mexican enough to, for the Mexicans and we're not American enough for the Americans, right? We have to work twice as hard. And I really wanted a class to interrogate why that's true. What is it about being Mexican-American that make, that make that a reality, right? That make that such a kind of struggle and tensions. And what are the ways that we um, have still um, are, are burdened by that and the ways that we have overcome it, right? The ways that we kind of make peace with it or accept it or form our own space, like within those two poles. Um, and so that's really, I think is, is what is going to be my guiding 
kind of yardstick or benchmark for deciding like the ultimate content of the class is, is rooted around how, why is that true for her then? And, you know, why is it true for us now? Um, for myself included and the students in the class. Has your university taught on other Latinos? I don't think they've had a, a class centered kind of around a pop, pop culture icon or somebody that has that kind of celebrity status that is that would be identified as Latino or Latino or Chicano or Chicano. Um, UTSA was one of the first classes to, to offer a class centered on Beyonce. That happened, I think, two, maybe three years ago. Um, it was like Beyonce, a black feminist kind of class, which you know was really successful and people were really excited about. I, I believe that they only were able to offer it one semester. Um, and, and there have been, um, there, there was a class uh, on um, Selena that was supposed to be offered, I think last year, maybe, last in this, maybe this past semester in, um, I wanna say San Diego. It was a university in San Diego, but it was rude. It was being taught by communication scholars. So they were looking for focusing a little bit more on media representations of her. Um, but at UTSA, I don't think so. I mean, we, we have classes that are that are centered on a certain type of work. So like we have classes right that are just on Shakespeare yes. or, you know, things like that. But in terms of a pop cultural icon, um, I don't think. I thought that's the only other example that I can think of at UTSA. And again, it wasn't a Latina, it was um, a black woman, Beyonce. Why do you think so, people, so many people are fascinated by Selena 25 years after her death? I mean, yeah. every time I go home and I sit with my mom and my tias, they, the topic always comes up like if something like a new star comes up, a new Latina comes in, in the picture, they're like, oh, Selena by now would have had this and she would have done this. Mm -hmm. She would have had a talk show. She would have had, a, mm -hmm. uh, she would have had her own movie uh, studio. I mean, they think the world yeah. was ready for her and she was going to yeah. dominate. Why do people still put their aspirations on someone that's left the planet 25 years ago? Yeah. I mean, I, I really want the the class to explore that, right? And so different scholars have tried to answer that. And so that's some of the material that I'm looking at for us to, to spend some time reading and talking about. So, you know, there's some people who look at um, the, the, um, um, the imaginary that her music offers, right? So like the, the sounds of, of this space that are encapsulated in her music, even though it's not specifically about like politics or identity, but the way she sounds and the, and the and the familiar rhythms of the music um, are are feel like home, right? So there's some scholars that have done work on that. There's others who have looked at um, the fact that that we have so few representations of ourselves exactly in in the media in general, right? So for Latinos, it's a very limited range, and and that usually doesn't include like a Chicano identity. Right, so someone like Selena who had to relearn Spanish, who spoke unaccented English, we don't see examples of that in the mainstream media version of what a Latino is, right? Okay. And that became very clear to me when I was in Utah and I got asked for the first time why, how my English got so good. And I was floored. I was floored because that's everybody I know talks like me, right? Like <laughs> there's so many of us that yes. went to the same school that you did. That's why. And so did my mom, you know? And so they don't understand us like that. And so I think for us, there's this, um, this almost um, instinctual kind of like we cling to the, 
one and only representation that mirrors us, that mirrors our experience, that mirrors our how our identity is tied to language and that it's this, you know, mix in this space that's um, sometimes weighs more heavily to being fluid in English, but still having a little bit of a toe in Spanish. And you know what I mean? To being, and, and knowing that all of that is who we are. And, and um, so I think that that's one of the reasons why, because we, we don't have any, very many other options. Um, I think- Does you know, your family do it? Do they go into those conversations? Well, yes, we, we have talked about, um, you know, what would have happened? What, what would have happened had she gone um, mainstream, right? So exactly. one of the big that narratives- That yeah. Right, um, and, and um, you know, wondering like what kind of political voice she would have today. Exactly. Right, like in this moment, what were the be kind of the things that she might be championing or saying or not? Um, so yes, we do imagine that, and I think it's because, again, there's just, there's so few options in terms of representation for ourselves that we cling to that one. Um, I think there's something to be said about just her, her talent, right? I mean, she just has an unmatchable voice and stage presence, right? Like she was just, there's some people who are just, you know, have this amazing gift that they're just so special. And I, and I think she's one of them. Um, the drag queens still perform her. The drag queens, <laughs> I love, I, being, going into a gay club 25 mm -hmm. years later after her passing and they're still playing her music. Yeah. You'll have Lady Gaga, Ariana Grande, and yeah. then suddenly you hear Bitty Bitty Bom Bom or... And it doesn't feel old. Like, what the hell? Just, I'm like, blast from the past. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't, but it doesn't feel old. Like it feels fresh. Like you could, it still like resonates today, that music. Um. And I think there's something to be said, you know, for just, just the tragedy of how, how quickly we lost her, right? Like she didn't even have a 10 year career, like yeah. from first album to when we lost her, right? It was just this short, intense, successful period. Like the things that she was able to accomplish in that brief time, um, elevate her and, and keep her constantly present. So, I mean, I think all of those, uh, are, are, can help to explain why. And I'm hoping that part of the class gives us this space to um, maybe think about other things that scholars haven't talked about to see if those feel like adequate reasons, right? Um, if there's another um, way we can we can connect with people who hold her so dear to their hearts and have them tell us, you know, why? Why does she have that spot? Um, why do you think she'll continue to? And um, yeah, that's one of the things that really fascinates me about the possibility of this class. Because I certainly don't feel like I, you know, am the expert on her or that reason. I just I feel like I have the tools to help exp and help to help students themselves figure Excellent. out what that answer could be. Yeah. I just want to thank you so much, Sonia, for coming on the show. You've been a very good friend to me, an ally. When I walked into that space at St. Mary's. Um, it was kind of like a different change from coming from a school that was primarily Hispanic to one that was more, had more resources, more mm -hmm. mixture of, of other folks. And you made me feel at home. So mm -hmm. I, you have that beautiful sense about you. Thank you. One more question before I leave. Yeah. What advice would you give Chicanas out there, young girls, young Latinas uh, that are thinking about getting their PhD? What oh, advice? Well, absolutely. <laughs> I would say absolutely do it. I mean, I try to encourage as many of my students that come through my 
to my classroom to, to envision themselves as a scholar, right? To, to help them see the way they already are using their tools for understanding and navigating the world to answer and ask these kind of questions um, to help I, that there's lots of paths to get there, that there isn't just one way. Um, you know, I, I formulated that idea and goal very early on, but the path before I got there was different than the one I had imagined, but it, it wasn't wrong. It was, it, it was the way that, that made the most sense in the long run, right? It wouldn't have worked any other way. Um, so yeah, I, I would say absolutely pursue it. Um, find a network of other, and there's plenty. I mean, that's one of the things that has sustained me is that I'm connected with a group of Chicana scholars and national organization um, that um, has the annual meetings, who has um, uh, other, um, workshops and institutes throughout the year that provide a space of encouragement, um, support, um, try to find something like that. Um, that's always a really key component of being successful in, um, in the graduate world. Um, and, and I don't know of anyone that I've come across that I've connected with in that space or when I've connected with another Chicana um, in higher education who wouldn't be willing to answer an email, even from someone you don't know that says, I'm interested in, or I'm thinking about graduate school, or can you tell me what it means to do that? Who wouldn't take the time to answer? Because we kind of all see ourselves as, um, as, as obligated to make sure that there's another tube behind us, right? That, that it's not just us. Yeah, so um, don't be afraid to reach out to someone to ask them a question, no question is is too silly to ask about it. I mean, there was so much that I didn't know. I mean, I, I just latched onto those words and 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 kind of did it blindly, right? Like I, I didn't know that it meant to be a college professor. I said, I'm gonna have I'm gonna get a PhD, but I didn't know that that's what it meant, right? Yeah. Like and that one of the things that I could do with it. Um, and yet I still feel like I, you know, followed the path that I was supposed to, that I have a successful um, um, career and occupation because of it, it's brought me so much, you know, joy and fulfillment. So don't be afraid to ask that question if you can, and wherever you end up landing, you know, build a, a network of support, even if it just starts with one other person, um, to help you navigate it. Cause it will be a challenge, you know, where that's still true. You know, what I learned at the age of seven, that there weren't a lot of Chicanas with PhDs, that's still incredibly true today. Sadly, right? I mean, there's like in Texas, I think it's 0.2% of all PhDs are held by um, Chicanas. And so um, whatever kind of network that you can build to help you get through that space, because it will feel foreign, you will feel othered, people will ask you the kinds of questions that I got asked, if not worse. Um, and so you'll need that support um, to help you kind of push away that noise and, and do the research and work and tell the stories that you want to do. Thank you so much, Sonia, for that advice. And thank you for being a good friend to the community. And thank you for coming on the show. You're very welcome.